Good morning. Welcome to the 2016 FCB Convention Employment Workshop. First, I would like to have our panel uh, introduce themselves and tell you a little bit about themselves. And then we have some questions we'll be addressing. And then at the end, we'll have time for you in the audience to ask questions as well. So we're starting at the end of the panel row, and I believe that uh, Miss Emily Michael uh, is at one end, is that correct? That's correct. Okay, and then after she's finished, we'll move on to Mr. O'Connor and so forth. Thank you. All right, I guess I get to be first. Right. <laughs> Hi, I'm Emily Michael. I'm a part-time writing instructor at the University of North Florida here in Jacksonville, and also at Florida State College at Jacksonville here in Jacksonville. What else do you want to know? I do not enjoy long walks on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, well, about where you went to school um, and you know, where you got your degree and that sort of thing. Sure. So I uh, received my BA and my MA in English from UNF, and uh, that's about it. So I'm very local. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say University of New Mexico? No, no. Uh, North, UNF, University of North Florida. Yeah. I'll pass it over to Dan. Hi there, I'm, I'm Dan O'Connor, and I'm a rehabilitation counselor uh, in the BR program at Division of Blind Services here in Jacksonville. I've been there almost 11 years now, and uh, let's see, a uh, little bit about myself. I'm, I'm legally blind due to a hereditary condition. It affects my optic nerves. It affected me in early adulthood, so uh, my under de undergraduate degree was as a person with vision, and then uh, grad school was as someone uh, you know, legally blind. So it was kind of interesting, those differences, too. Um, I think uh, I, I'm also involved in the community quite a bit. I serve as chair of the local Mayor's Disability Council. So, anything else? That'll do. Thank okay. you. <laughs> Does this pass this to you, or do you have another one? Oh. Whoa. Oh, sorry. Yeah. All awake now? Usually glad. Yeah, I know. <laughs> exactly. Oh. All right. Hello, everyone. My name is April Ogden. I am currently the Rehabilitation Supervisor with the Division of Blind Services. Um, I hold a bachelor's degree in sociology with a minor in public administration that I received from the University of North Florida. Uh, also have a master's of science degree in rehabilitation counseling. And I'm currently back in school at University of North Florida for a second master's degree in public policy, uh, public administration with a concentration in public policy. Uh, I am a former program director for benefits counseling of work incentive planning assistance, which is a lot of people know that as benefits counseling, uh, social security disability benefits counseling, and certified also as a benefits counselor. Uh, just, uh, I think that's probably about it, Wanda. How long have you been with the agency? <laughs> I've been with Division of Blind Services uh, since August of 2011. I started out as a rehabilitation counselor, and before then, I worked uh, as a program director for employment services with a nonprofit agency, the Independent Living Resource Center, mm -hmm. uh, contract manager of our state vocational rehabilitation program and also manage a program director for SSA, Work Incentive Planning Assistance, 
uh, Ticket to Work program. I think you've been very busy. Yes. <laughs> All of that and above. Okay, thank you. All right, I'm going to pass it down. I actually have a mic, so oh, you're good. Thank you. Okay. All right. All right. Good morning. My name is Sarah Conrad. Um, I am on the ACB Board of Directors, um, so I'm coming here from Wisconsin. Um, I have my bachelor's in special education, and I'm currently um, working on my law degree. I just finished my first year of law school um, two days ago, so I'm still pretty excited about that. Um, and I'm also um, I'm doing a dual degree program, getting my master's in public affairs um, along with my law degree. Um, and I have been um, participating with ACB since 2009, um, and I'm currently in my fourth year of um, serving on the board of directors. And um, while in law school, I also manage our uh, Madison Unemployment Appeals Clinic. Um, it's through our law school. Um, it's just a part-time job um, that I originally started pro bono um, and then was hired as the student manager of the clinic. Um, and I do a lot of other volunteer work um, through the law school, hoping to eventually work in education, law, and policy. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Cassandra Jesse. I am um, a rehabilitation teacher in Daytona Beach, Florida, at the Rehabilitation Center for the Blind and Visually Impaired. Um, I've been there six years. Before that, I worked at um, where did I work? oh Florida School for the Deaf and Blind, and I worked there seven. And while I was going uh, working there, I decided to go back to school and get my um, BA degree in rehab counseling so that I could um, help students um, become more independent. I am currently the membership chair of Florida, and um, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. And I'm Wanda Stokely, by the way, the chair for the employment workshop. And I will, in two weeks from today, have 30 years with Division of Blind Services. Thank you. I'm going to stay a while longer. And I'm currently serving my uh, last term as president of the local TCB, Tennessee Council of the Blind. So, folks, y'all ready? Okay, let's see. Let's start out with Mr. O'Connor. Um, what do you see uh, as the biggest obstacle for a job seeker who has a visual impairment? Okay, I'll give that my best. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to sometimes bring it down to one obstacle. There's a few obstacles. Well, no, you, you're welcome to do more than one. Okay. Well, um, I think uh, assuming that people have the skills that are needed with technology, I think hopefully that, that's kind of foundation to have that. But I think uh, I, I think as I think one of the bigger barriers that's still there is attitudinal barriers of employers. And I think uh, the best way to try and counter that is to try to be as involved as you can, kind of going along with that, the gaps of employment and, and trying to, uh, uh, you know, have as many opportunities where you can have some things currently uh, to present yourself in the best light. Whether it's volunteer work, uh, even being involved in, in groups such as Florida Council of the Blind, uh, as uh, Wanda expressed, 
to uh, be on some committees uh, where you can uh, take minutes or, or have some involvement, some things that you can have on a resume. I think, uh, I think the soft skills is something I've noticed uh, in the time that I've been with uh, Division of Blind Services. And, and I, I've even heard on a, a program I was listening to that uh, from the HR standpoint that that's uh, even outside of dis people having disabilities, that the soft skills is, is an area of greatest need and it's one of the hardest things to teach because there's so many nuances in how we present ourselves. And sometimes I think people with vision impairments, there, there's a disadvantage where we can't, I can't see you in the audience to know, hey, are, are you really interested in what I'm saying here? Or am I on target? Or what's well, sometimes that's a challenge. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's how to kind of um, knowing what those challenges are and, and working through it, you know, kind of um, having some practice a lot, you know, not only with the interviews, but just in those interpersonal skills and, and having various kinds of uh, situations that you're involved with um, where, where you, you know, can uh, show that positive side of yourself. And I, I think sometimes, too, along with that is people don't realize that, you know, you don't know who you're running into where they, they're going to notice you and, uh, and talk to someone else that could be the next person that you interview for a job. Mm -hmm. So I think to be very cautious, there isn't like, okay, I can just uh, kind of, uh, you know, act a, a different way than what uh, I would uh, in a professional setting. I mean, certainly we have our off time with friends, but just to have some caution there that uh, in how you communicate with people, um, that, that word can travel. And, and even in this day of social media, sometimes what you put out there, being, being cautious of that. So I think all those things kind of tie together in the interpersonal skills, how you present yourself communication-wise, and just always... You know, the gap in employment is a big thing. And seeking out the volunteer work, I talk to clients where, hey, but I, w I want a job. I want something that's paid. But there's a lot of stepping stones along the way that are going to put you in that position. I hope that helps address Thank you. Who, would else, who else would like to elaborate on that? I would. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> so building off of what Dan has said, um, I'm a teacher, and so if you ever consider talking to audiences of indifferent people, I'm an expert at that because students don't really care what you have to say. So when you're talking to an interviewer, uh, one of the things that I do is I pretend that they're already on my side. Um, basically, if you go in there thinking, I'm a big loser, they're not going to hire me, they have all these prejudices, that's going to come across in your self-presentation. So if you go in and you say, no, this is no big deal. My disability is no big deal. I've already got it under control. You just have to evaluate whether I'm right for this job. I think that makes a big difference. Um, the unfortunate thing is that people can you know, say, oh, I'm here to sell my work and not myself. But because we're underrepresented, I think we do have to sell ourselves a little bit. And uh, the tone of the interview matters. I think if you present yourself as someone who's kind of a superhero, who you know, yeah. you're going to just fight against the odds and take care of everything and nothing will ever be your employer's you know, responsibility, that's a problem. So overcompensation is a problem. But if you say, you know what, it's no big deal, we're going to work together, we're already allies, 
here's how we're going to solve all of my disability-related work issues, then it's not a problem. So what I would emphasize is those soft skills and emphasizing a partnership with your employer, not I'm a disabled superhero who can conquer everything. Because if you say that, they're never going to want to help you do anything because they'll just expect you to be the little engine that could and just work your way to the top. And they'll say, well, you, you know, couldn't you just deal with it on your own? So emphasize a partnership and believe that they're already on your side, even if it's the worst interview you've ever been in. Excellent, yeah. Someone else? Uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you. This... This is April Ogden. Um, one of the challenges that I think is that uh, in working with individuals who are visually impaired or individuals who are blind, I've noticed that the common thread often is I just want a job and I'll do anything. And I think that's a challenge because um, you want to know your abilities based on your, your knowledge, skills, and abilities. Um, you want to have that idea of what is a feasible employment goal to start you off. So when you're sitting down in front of an employer, you, you know that you're a great match, you're well qualified for that position. And I think a lot of individuals uh, become discouraged because they don't know the knowledge, skills, and abilities or an appropriate or feasible employment goal that will help them to be well qualified and match and do well in an interview. Um, so that's, that's the challenge that I've seen uh, with individuals who are seeking employment. And a vocational evaluation will help you to determine what is a feasible employment goal based on your knowledge, skills, abilities, and interest as well. Because you may have an interest, you may be lacking in the knowledge, skills, and abilities part of it, but uh, some vocational training, additional vocational training will help you in, in working with a vocational rehabilitation agency to provide you with the rehabilitation training like at the Daytona Rehab Center or community rehab program. So there are a lot of opportunities to gain that knowledge, skills, and abilities through various assessments and evaluations and training. Sarah or Cassandra, sure. anyone? I, I can if you'd like. Sure, go right ahead. All right, this is Sarah Conrad. Um, one of the um, biggest challenges that I've seen um, is just the awkwardness of when and how um, to disclose a disability, especially um, depending on whether or not you appear to have a disability. You know, sometimes they're more hidden than others. Um, and just depending on the situation and the job and the employer and your comfort level, um, figuring that out um, can be a big challenge. Do you disclose in that cover letter? Well, maybe if it's a disability-related job and you want to show that you have empathy and experience, um, or is it, you know, a pretty competitive job field that you feel more comfortable disclosing in the interview after, um, just depending on, um, on that situation. And then I think the other challenge within disclosure is that um, a lot of people think, well, once I disclose my disability, then that's it, that's all I need to do. But the reality is that there are always things that change um, within your job, whether it's a new technology or a new task that you've been given or a new group of people. And so just continuing to um, see that as an opportunity to um, educate and advocate um, and, and, you know, recognizing that it, it's just probably a lack of understanding from your employer, from your colleagues, um, and just finding, finding comfortable and less awkward ways, I guess, um, of continuing to advocate for yourself. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, hello. John, you need to fix this. Yeah, it's still not on. You need I'm, to fix I'm this. The one on the oh, index. Just tried to fix. Yeah. Um, this is Cassandra, uh, Jesse. There you go. And um, I think the biggest challenge is, you know, your your coworkers. Most of them are going to be cited, and you need to relay to them that they're not going to have to do all of your work or some of your work or part of your eight work, and learn how you can um, help. Uh, for instance, uh, when I worked at uh, the Florida School for Deaf and Blind, the paperwork was not accessible. So what I did so that it would even the odds was I took whoever did my paperwork, I took their shift because they didn't want to go outside. They didn't like outside. They didn't want to be bothered with that. So I took their shift. So that way I was still doing my job, even though it wasn't the paperwork because it was not accessible. But you have to show your co-workers that you are a team player so if say people first is not <laughs> is not working then you need you know if you're going to get somebody to help you there's something that you can do do your part whether you know your numbers so they don't have to look that up or do whatever but you need to make sure that that and those are barriers that we really need to work on thank you um, and some of the other questions we're going to be asking, they're already answering some of those, <laughs> but uh, which is good, which is good. Um, the next question would be, panel, um, if you could narrow down to perhaps um, one asset, and of course we're speaking of visually impaired and blind individuals, so need keep on repeating that, but uh, what would be one of the biggest um, or most valuable work assets a person could have to maintain their position or possibly advance. And we'll start with Cassandra and go the other direction. <laughs> I, um, I think an asset would be, one thing I like about, and I've had an employer say this, is that uh, when he got an award and he didn't know he was going to get it, he said all visually impaired people that he had working for him was on time and he didn't have to worry about them calling out very much. And, he, you know... Good so point. he thought, you know, time management, he liked the time management. I mean, he named a couple of things. And so, you know, that I think I think being an asset is making sure that whatever your strengths are, that you that you 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 show those. Again, and multiple, at, multiple valuable assets. Right. It's not just one. Right. Um, you know, whatever they are, what, whatever they are. I mean, you have a plethora of uh, things going on that are that are great. Make sure you, you, you put those out front. I mean, they're going to know you're visually impaired, so you don't have to do that one. <laughs> you know, you got some other stuff. If, you, if you're an avid Braille reader, if you're an avid typist, if you're an avid, you know, just make sure that you play to those strengths. Sarah? All right. Well, I kind of combined a few things into a sentence, so hopefully that's okay. Um, I think... Um, the most value asset is and to have a, a balance of assertive self-advocacy and perceptive discernment with constant grace. 
So kind of separating that into the three things. I think um, assertive self-advocacy is, is really important. So you are advocating for yourself whenever there are challenges, but you're not doing it in an aggressive way or in an entitled way, um, but you're also not doing it in a passive way. Oh, I kind of might need this, right? You, you know what you need. Um, you know your abilities. Um, you know um, you have some possible solutions for any barriers that you might experience and you communicate those um, in an assertive um, self-advocacy way. Um, And then the perceptive discernment. I think you are perceiving um, issues, whether that's um, whether that's a technological issue, whether it's um, an issue between you and other colleagues um, relating to um, your disability, um, whatever it may be within your specific job setting, you're perceiving those obstacles or perhaps um, the positive aspects. And then you're discerning whether or not um, to raise any issues. So sometimes little things come up and you might decide to choose your battles. Um, you might um, choose to um, you know, take on the, the bigger problems first. Um, just discerning when to um, seek help and when it's something that you can figure out on your own, um, who your support is and that kind of a thing. And then the idea of constant grace, that you're doing all of these things with the understanding that most of your colleagues and employers are not um, trying to be difficult, that they're not trying to um, make things harder for you, that they're not trying to um, think negatively about disability. It's so often um, just ignorance, that they just don't know. Um, And so if you can have that grace to um, help continue to advocate for yourself and to educate others, um, I think that's a huge asset. Um, Briefly, I'll state, this is April Ogden again. Um, I think, and it kind of combined three assets of to be adaptable, approachable, and flexible. Uh, As a visually impaired or blind individual, I think that works in any case uh, with or without a disability. Uh, Being adaptable, you know, and it's a change in environment, change in a software system, um, being approachable. So if your supervisor, coworker needs you to participate or you have challenges, um, and when someone comes to you, you, you express those challenges in the most professional way without kind of exploding or being self, you know, being defensive uh, and being flexible. When, again, when the situations change, you have to have the ability to change with those situations. And again, these are characteristics just not of uh, someone that, an asset that, won't, that will benefit a person's visually impaired or blind, but just any employee. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to address the next question to Emily, since um, we have several people that already work for DBS, so they would not hopefully encounter too many barriers when they first began employment. Well, what about you, Emily? Did you have any specific barrier or obstacle that's more so than any others when you first started working? Uh, let's see. So I teach for two different universities, and one of the universities, I had already been a student there, so they knew me pretty well. Um, and that had some positives and negatives. Uh, the positives were that they weren't uncomfortable with my disability. They were like, oh, we know her, she's fine. But this is where, oh, we know her, she's fine, can be a problem. Because I would get to meetings, and they wouldn't have enlarged the agenda, the meeting agenda. 
And so they'd pass out agendas, and I'd say, hey, did you print me a large print one? And they'd go, oh, crap, and they'd have to run and go get it. So and the meeting would start late. Um, so I kind of circumvented that by emailing them. When they would email out a meeting notice, I'd say, hey, it'd be great if you could send me the agenda so I can enlarge it. Sure, we'll be happy to do that. Well, we'd get to the meeting or the day before, and no one will have sent me an agenda. So I would send out a reminder email because I'm very type A. And uh, they would, again, be printing my agenda five minutes before the meeting started. So that was really frustrating for me. So um, Sarah talked about handling situations with grace, and I completely agree with that. But sometimes being a little passive-aggressive gets the point across. Yes. And I'll give you a little story. So Good. people would pass out the meeting agendas, and there wouldn't be enough. For some reason, you know, they printed a few, you know, few too few. And so they'd hand one to me, and I'd say, oh, are we short on agendas? Here, you can have mine because it's so small. I can't read it. No, no, please take it. I'd like someone to get some use out of it. And then everybody would blush and go, ha, 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 she's so funny. Let's go print her agenda. I don't want to be embarrassed again. So if you can make jokes, um, and, you know, underneath the joke, you're just seething with rage because you're thinking I've done everything I can, uh, that can sometimes be really effective. Um, in my other job... When I got hired, I was hired on a friend's recommendation. So uh, they had not met me before. And my employer asked me why I didn't disclose my disability in my cover letter. And I said, well, it's not relevant. And he said, well, your friend never mentioned that you're blind. I said, I'm not sure that it's relevant. And it turns out that he wasn't not going to hire me because I'm blind, but he was more self-conscious about his own procedure. Had he done everything he needed to do? Was the interview fully accessible? So he felt like, oh my gosh, I'm under the spotlight. So a lot of times the discomfort from an employer is not they hate blind people, it's that what if they're not doing everything right? What if they look like an idiot because you know they slide you the employee man manual across the table and it's in size 12? Um, so if you can kind of be empathetic about that, that they might also feeling some discomfort, I think things will move a lot more smoothly. But I, don't, I feel like in, in um, both cases with my jobs, uh, I presented a confident resume, a confident cover letter. So there, wasn't, there weren't barriers really to deal with because uh, I kind of anticipated what those might be. And I pretty much said, look, I can do this job. So I guess the, the issue to me is if, if you think there are barriers, there will be barriers. But if you think there aren't barriers and you can convince your employer that there aren't barriers, then it's kind of hard for them to say, oh, no, there aren't barriers. Thank you. Okay, let's start with you, Emily, and come back this direction toward me. And uh, if you would just please let us know why you chose the profession you have. Well, I'm a blind person who chose a text-based profession. That's very wise. Uh, lots of extensive reading. I really just followed my interests. I've always been interested in reading and writing. I love to teach. Um, so it was a pretty easy fit for me. I had um, people in high school who recommended that I teach. Um, I had a little bit of teaching experience. I had done some, like, you know, student teaching, and I thought, this is awesome. I love it. So I, it's, it's kind of weird. I mean, I went in as a freshman and chose the English major and knew that I was happy doing that. I really didn't have any qualms about what if this isn't the right career for me. It just felt like a really good fit. So that's not a terribly exciting answer. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Okay. Um, well, for me, um, and, and it is a good question, I think sometimes, uh, you know, the question sometimes is, uh, well, have, have the interests changed after you 
lose your vision. And for some people, uh, with the nature of the types of work, uh, it's something that where there is a change that has to occur. In my situation, even before I lost my vision, I was interested in doing some kind of counseling, some something where I'd have some of that close uh, contact with other individuals and feeling like I'm able to provide guidance and direction. So uh, I, I didn't quite go into the specifics with my education earlier, but uh, uh, in graduate school, I, I got a degree in mental health counseling. I never did end up getting my license as a mental health counselor because um, there's some challenges with that even afterwards to get supervised hours without getting hired first a lot of times. But uh, I found that there was uh, some pretty uh, good ability to, to still have that same focus. While I can't see people, I can be a lot more attuned to, um, to, to the tone of voice, and I can still tell if someone's fidgeting in their chair and how much they're paying attention and uh, you know, have more of a focus sometimes on, on some of the things without um, making prejudgments on... Uh, uh, on how people's appearance are sometimes. So I, I think people with vision impairments can make very good counselors, actually. Um, and, and while I'm not licensed as a mental health counselor, I certainly still use that background uh, with, in my job. And I did become certified as a rehabilitation counselor. So um, I feel like uh, I stayed pretty consistent with what my interests were. Thank you. April. Well, for me, um, I just had an interest in advocacy and policy and working with individuals with disabilities, and it's something I have been doing now um, going on 16 years. And so it just was a, a, a passion of mine. Um, that's about as good as it gets, Wanda. <laughs> that's right, absolutely. It was just a passion. That's it, absolutely. And it, it, I can't follow your heart. You can't can't let it go. And uh, it's never based off of uh, of um, money. Um, I, I think it was Confucius that said, uh, "If you do the job you love, you'll never work a day in your life." And I, I do feel like some days I'm, you know, it's, it's what I do because I love to do it. I, I don't look at it as work. Right. So I, I enjoy what I do. If I could, if Jacksonville Electric Authority would let me get away with it for free, I, I probably would do this for free. But I can't. <laughs> I can't. I still have to pay the bills. That's right. We like to eat and yes, have hot, cold water <laughs> and AC and air conditioning, you know, yes, and the heat. Yep. <laughs> Okay, Sarah? Sure. Yeah, similarly to um, April, it, it's really been passion for me. So um, while I was studying special education during my undergrad, um, I realized that while I enjoyed teaching, I loved advocacy. And, and there were issues um, as I was spe um, specifically teaching students with intellectual disabilities. Um, so many issues that they faced um, that I, I just couldn't get away from, that they, those issues followed me home, and they, they were the things that I just constantly thought about. They were the things that got my blood boiling enough to try and make a difference. And for me, it was um, particularly working with that um, piece of the population that literally had no voice and realizing that 
um, I could be a voice for those individuals. Um, and also seeing that, you know, having um, a disability, but also having some vision sort of put me um, in sort of one foot in one world and one in the other, one in the disability world, but also one that could connect um, to people without disabilities. And so I felt like um, that advocacy um, fit with um, my personality, with my abilities, um, and certainly with my passion. Um, and I think the biggest thing is that I have, um, you know, I have faces to link to advocacy. Um, I have faces of students in my mind who I, you know, those are the people who I am studying law because of. They struggled for um, for certain accommodations, for um, financial resources, um, for um, the advocacy within their families, within school, within uh, future employment. Um, and those are the people that I'm advocating for, and that's the passion ju that just will not go away. Thank you. Hmm. Well, um, uh, I, I think my um, story is kind of like uh, what April and Doug Don, uh, April and Dan said, <laughs> I was going to call him Doug. Um, for a while, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And uh, one of my counselors said, I need to do something. So he sent me to summer camp to work. And uh, during that time, I was working with people who were visually impaired. And, um, you know, and I was used to that. But then I got this group of people that we had who had uh, a plethora of things going on. Blindness was not their first thing. And we did three weeks with them. And I think that's what pulled me toward this field. In fact, I know it is. And ever since then, um, I have been striving and making sure that uh, the advocacy part and making sure that they can do for themselves um, because I've seen some things and I just thought that, you know, maybe I need to teach them so that they don't have to ask, do, or imagine. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Our next question panel, did any of you have a mentor and did this have an influence on the job that you currently have? Um... I'll, I'll start. Okay. But you don't have to all answer. I just don't know if there's anyone on the panel who had a mentor. Um, I can tell you uh, one of them is sitting in the audience. Carl, are you still out there? Okay. So That's Carl right. McCoy. Yeah. Excellent, excellent mentor. He does not know this, <laughs> but um, he was really one of the people when I did my work study up in his office. Uh, and he, you know, he kept, he would always, I would go in his office and he always just told me, strive, girl, you can do whatever you want to do. And um, he is one of the, the people who really pushed me um, to this field. And the other one is Beth Crane, um, who uh, was my counselor when I was uh, going to college. Um, those two people um, in my adult life, I could honestly say, are the people who really pushed me and made me to be the person that I am and the passion that I have as far as advocacy and um, working with people in visually impairment. I believe Mr. McCoy was probably a mentor for more people than he knows about. Oh, yes. <laughs> Excellent. Thank Anyone you. else? 
Sure, I can speak to that if you'd like. Um, this is Sarah again. So, um, yeah, I've actually had a number of uh, mentors as um, I sort of... Okay. <laughs> I hope that's a dependable person who said that. It was. Oh, okay. That's good enough. All right, Sarah, continue. I think please. the alarm just wanted me to stop talking. All right. Uh, <laughs> well, well, then. That's definitely a signal. I guess. <laughs> no, so I'm. Um, like I was saying, I, I had a number of mentors as I sort of transitioned from undergrad um, into law. Um, as I was kind of unsure about um, the whole law school process, um, it's quite an application process, taking the LSAT and then, you know, jumping into the craziness of law school. Um, I had um, two specific mentors um, within ACB National, they're on the board with me, um, who are um, who are attorneys uh, who are totally blind, and they um, really helped me through the process. They even wrote letters of recommendation, but they really just encouraged me um, to look at different areas. See, there I go again. Right. Wow. I guess. <laughs> so maybe I should uh, speed up and, and get done so that they stop yelling at me. But um, And then uh, also continued mentorship um, as I... Um, got into law school, they established a mentoring program for um, current law students um, to assist incoming law students. And I um, have really taken advantage of that, um, getting together with my mentor. And even though she doesn't have um, any disabilities, um, she's been very successful in law school and so um, has been really um, proactive in, in helping me um, to think of strategies to overcome um, difficulties in school and um, in the future employment. Anyone else? All right, moving right along then. Um, did any of you encounter um, problems when you first began your employment with either not having the adaptive technology you needed or being able to um, learn the technology that you needed to do your job more proficiently? Any takers? Um, I'll go. Um, it hasn't been with this current job, but in previous employment, uh, I've had encountered where the jaws wasn't set up. Um, and so I've tried to, <laughs> in the most politically correct way, educate the employer on the benefits of having things available and accessible uh, when a person starts, because that can be discouraging. Um, and so... My role as a supervisor now, I, I really make sure that those things are available and ready. Um, and I always keep in mind accessibility, I, you know, because that's very uh, frustrating and it's, it's discouraging. If you, like Emily, you were talking about, you know, having an agenda but not having an accessible format is kind of pulling away from what you asked, Wanda. But it's so important 
for employers to remember accessibility at the beginning, middle, and throughout the duration of the employment. Um, and if it's not available, then it's our time to educate the employee on the importance and sometimes educate them on how, you know, hey, this is where you can go. Because a lot of people, employers, they don't know, but they have good intentions. They want to hire. Um, and so I always look at things as not an opportunity of, well, I don't want to play the blame game, but I want to take this opportunity to, to educate the individual. Anyone else? Okay, let's um, we'll start with Emily and come back toward me with um, if you can narrow it down to what may be one of the biggest mistakes or most commonly made mistakes um, by individuals who have a visual impairment who are in, uh, applying for a position, uh, perhaps in the interview stage, what they might do that would be not acceptable to the employer. Okay. Um, We've kind of talked about this a little bit, so uh, hmm. I would say, and this is because I'm, again, biased toward writing, I'd say one of the biggest mistakes is not polishing your professional communication. So um, I've noticed this problem, especially among people who are primarily Braille users, and they go to type and their spelling isn't very good. Um, it doesn't mean that they're not smart, okay? That's a very spell common... Spell check. We, oh, and spell check doesn't catch everything. So <laughs> that's, that's right. That's for another panel. Uh, but <laughs> basically, um, the, the thing that we have to realize, and English teachers actually hate this, but it's a stereotype that if your writing is bad, you're not very intelligent. Again, not true. <laughs> not true. But it's the most powerful work myth out there. Um, there are, you know very successful corporations that say, well, if there's an error on the resume, that person must be an idiot. And that's not true. But in your emails to an employer, you know, query letters, um, cover letters, you need to know that those are flawless. One way for your employer to judge whether you're competent at your job, whether you have attention to detail, is if you present a flawless, engaging, uh, digital self before you've even met that person. And, and many of us know that the interview is like the third or fourth step in getting that job. You've already sent them a resume. You've already sent them a cover letter. You know, so even though you might be charming in person, if your digital communications are not um, excellent, they, they can write you off. And they're, gonna, and they're already going to, you know, be looking to hire the best person. So I would say that's a common mistake is, is undervaluing the communication that you're sending that employer. Um, I teach business writing, and what I tell my students is, they, you know, I'm required to read your emails because, you know, I'm paid by the university to teach you, but uh, your employer is not. They're not required to read and respond. They're also not required to care who you are until you make them want to invest in you. So if they open up an email and it's really informal, it's too informal, or it's too abrupt, or it's riddled with spelling errors or grammar errors, they don't have to write to you and say, well, we would love to consider you, but could you use spell check? They can just delete you, you know? So um, don't undervalue that professional communication. Even if you think it means spending some time with a writing tutor or a friend who writes really well, uh, make sure that your professional email skills, your resume skills, your cover letter skills, that those are, those are intact. I, I couldn't agree more with what Emily just 
stated, I think uh, so much is perceptions, and perceptions sometimes are even greater than reality. As she said, uh, it doesn't always match up, but that's the impression that is going to be left with is, is what's presented either in writing or how you present yourself with your verbal uh, communication skills, your body language. Are, are you, you know, if you're... Uh, you know, not looking in the direction that you're supposed to be, or you're um, uh, you're just not presenting well. It's it's going to have a lasting effect. So, I, I think that presentation is just so important. And then also, I think sometimes things can uh, be misconstrued from communication. Uh, th- you know, how an email is, doesn't always tell the whole story. So I think sometimes even following up by a phone call or vice versa, if you uh, talk to an employer or, or you're already employed, um, we find it a lot, I'm sure April's in agreement, within the job, if um, there's some emails and you need some more information, um, follow it up in an email, say, is this, this is what I think you're asking for, am I correct, or is there some things I'm... I'm leaving out, or or have a phone call with a person. Go to the per, your supervisor's office, or you know. So it's just, I think those things are important. Not to make assumptions, but to uh, trust but verify. You know, get the clarification that's needed. So, do you have any further thoughts? Good. Okay. Yes. All right. Thank you. Um. I, mine is kind of two part. Uh, the first part is that it is. A, People who are Social Security beneficiaries and they're receiving SSR, SSDI, and I know this is talking about dealing with employers, but a lot of times individuals, they number one, they are not familiar with what type of benefit they're receiving. Um, you would be amazed, a lot of individuals, if you ask them, well, what type of disability are you receiving, um, they'll say SSA. And so that's the, uh, it's either SSI or SSDI. Um, so that's that's the that's the the biggest mistake I, I see a lot of individuals make because if you're ready to work and you're receiving those benefits, you want to know what type of benefits you have because guess what? Once you begin to go to work, you don't want all of your check going back to overpayment to Social Security Administration. Right. Um, so that's going to be the biggest thing. Um, knowing how your benefits. Number two, knowing how your benefits your SSI and SSDI will be affected. I hear a lot of people say, well, as long as, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm legally blind and as long as I don't make over um, $1,500, I'm, I'm just making up a number, I'm fine. Well, that amount doesn't apply to you if you're receiving SSI. So now you're getting an overpayment. It's like, well, I was told that I can make up to 1500 but if you're receiving your, you know, the SSI, it doesn't apply to you. So know what type of benefit you're receiving. And lastly, I would say the biggest mistake I see a lot of individuals make, and again, this is tied to Social Security. Um, I see individuals make this mistake where Social Security does not have them identified as legally blind. It happened to me. And so if you're not classified or, as, or defined as legally blind with the Social Security Administration, you're not going to be entitled to those work incentives. And that's the biggest mistake because the first time that person receives that, that overpayment notice in the mail, what's the first thing to say? I'll just quit. It's not worth it. But a lot of pre-planning in the beginning will help you, and then you're not letting down. It's going to, I'm going to tie it back to the employer. Then you're not letting down an employer who's giving you the opportunity 
which we haven't taken advantage of because we haven't researched our benefits and how they're going to be affected. Good. All right. I think um, one of the, um, I don't think this mic is working yet again, but. Oh, you need this one? Over here? Yeah, maybe. Does it stretch? We'll just pass this other oh, one down again. Yep. No fire alarms this time. All right, yeah. <laughs> um, I think one of the biggest, we're using the other mic now, so. Um, I think one of the biggest mis uh, mistakes that um, I see is just a lack of flexibility. Um, and this is not just within the blindness community, but I, I think it um, is a greater burden within the blindness community because um, you have to be flexible about um, where you're going to work because you have a lot of you know, additional um, questions that you have to ask. You have to look big picture about, okay, what is the transportation going to look like there? You know, um, housing, is there housing that's located, you know, on a good bus route or a paratransit route um, to that place? And so you have to be looking big picture and you also have to be um, flexible about the job. You know, if, if there's one particular, you know, office or agency that you really want to work for, but that um, place is not going to be accessible to you, um, you know, you either have to, you know, work a little bit harder to make it accessible, whether that's, you know, hiring a driver, carpooling, coming up with, you know, other options, or expand your job search. And I think a lot of people, particularly in um, the disability community, I hear, you know, we'll go to a job interview or two, they'll get rejected, and they just stop trying. Um, and I think the flexibility um, and the confidence to keep trying, knowing that even if you don't get what feels like your dream job, if that is a stepping stone to your dream job, right. um, that, that's just as important. That is important, yes. Thank you. This works. Um, I'll tell you, I think the biggest thing I see is, uh, especially when people are applying at places that they know, is the familiarity. In other words, they don't feel like they need to dress. They don't feel like they need to, to do what they need to do. They just assume they're going to go in, they can wear whatever their business casual clothes or whatever they wear every day. And they don't dress, you know, and dress for for the um, for the interview because they know the people, they know who it is, you know, and so they they don't they don't have I call it their game face on, you know, they don't have that, they don't. And I've seen that, um, you know, just recently where, you know, somebody did do this and they asked me why didn't I get the job and I just kind of looked at them and you know. Um, but I think that is our biggest, our, for, for, for people uh, who are visually impaired and that has any type of disability, we always have to be a cut above. Right. Because they are going to, they want a reason not to hire us in the first place. So we need to be on our game. We need to make sure that our, eye, our eyes, our T's, our clothes, our hair, our makeup, our accessibility. We need to have answers when they say, "Well, I, well, well, we have a computer screen." You know, we need to be able to say, "Well, I have Jaws." You know, "Well, we have such and such." Well, I have. 
you need to have an answer for them and you need to have it um, with confidence and assertiveness without the malice. Thank you. Now, I would ask the panel, do, um, do any of you at this time have anything that you would just like to say in generality, not specifically to any of the questions? Um, any experiences you may have had? I know that Emily had shared with us uh, one of hers. Uh, and they could be humorous. If not, then we will uh, ask those in the audience if they have any questions they would like to ask. Uh, be sincere about the position for which they're applying. Yeah. They're just not going to a job interview, but they really do want this job. And that's, I think, going to depend on the individual because um, every individual is different. That's why it's really good. You know, it's, it's not mandatory, but it's really good to work with the vocational rehabilitation agency that's going to prepare that individual, make sure they're ready, make sure they're serious. Um, but a lot of it has to do with the individual's motivation. And if that motivation isn't there, then we have to ask ourselves, you know, what's missing? Why, why isn't this motivation there? How can we uh, build up that motivation? So um, dealing with vision loss can be it can be a, a, a grieving process, if you will. You, a person can go through a grieving process, if, especially if they're new to the vision loss. Uh, so there are all different type of reasons why that person may not be motivated. But that's why it's good if, if you're not wanting to get with a vocational rehabilitation agency, have a great support system, be in, involved with a lot of employment um, networks around the community. It, it like Again, it's not mandatory that you're involved with the State Vocational Rehabilitation Agency, but the main thing is to have that support and, and to motivate you. So if you're, you know, you're not ready, you have people around you who care and it's going to say, this is what I believe you need to do to, to be ready. These are some things I've noticed about you to get you ready. Um, the best time, the worst time to find out if you're not ready is during an interview. That's the worst time. Or during your quarterly or annual evaluation. That's the worst time. So, did I answer your question? Yes. Okay. I'm sorry? Right. Exactly. Right. Yep. Uh, you're, you're ready to go. Right. You're ready to go. And that's why uh, on the panel, I've heard everyone basically say, to prepare yourself, I think that's key, to prepare yourself. Know what job you want, know your limitations, know the solutions to your limitations, um, know about that employer, know that employer needs, know what's required on that position description uh, because that's more than likely what you're going to be evaluating. Do some research on. before um, you begin. Um, and, and be able to perform the essential functions of the job. I think a lot of times under ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act, sometimes we uh, will have that entitlement attitude and 
ADA is not based off of entitlement. ADA is based off of can you perform the essential functions of, of the job with or without an accommodation. Now, if we're talking about the accommodation, are you prepared to use that accommodation? Have you received that training? Do you know what are the essential functions of that job? So preparedness is the key. Yes. Well, and that's why I would say, again, that research and preparedness. And uh, if you have the opportunity, ask for the position description. It, it, it's no law that says you can't view the position description in advance. You, because that position description, and I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of employers, and I'm speaking on behalf of just myself as an individual, I'm not speaking on behalf of, of the agency, but it's just a lot of employers, uh, a lot of times they get in trouble only because of one thing, and that's that position description. And that position, and you know why? Because that position description outlines what are the essential functions of the job. And so if that individual, that employee with a disability can't perform those essential functions of the job, then great. If they can't perform the essential functions of the job, then it's time for that employee and, um, and human resource management officer to sit down and talk about what accommodations are needed. Or you know what? Again, ADA is not entitlement because just because I'm legally blind doesn't mean I have the right to be your neurosurgeon. So right. that may not be a good fit. <laughs> so, and I get it. And I think I'm like Emily. That's probably another panel. But ADA doesn't doesn't mean entitlement. It doesn't equate to entitlement. I think many times we have uh, tasks that are part of our jobs, and on the surface, we cannot really do them. But you have to be creative and figure out different ways mm -hmm. that you can do this. Because many things you can do that may not, in the first instance, appear that you can. But you stop and do a little problem solving, think about, well, if I did this, I could figure out how to do this. I've done that many a time. Yeah. Um, so you have to be creative and find other ways that you mm -hmm. can accomplish you know, positions and tasks. Yeah. Well, and employers are looking for, I'm, I'm going to give you, and Sarah here is uh, in law school, but I can tell you she probably will agree with me. The, the, the quick and dirty of ADA, employers <laughs> are looking for the outcome and results. That's right. all they're looking for. Like Wanda said, you be creative. If you can give that employee the outcome and results based on that position description, then you can perform the essential functions of the job, and that's where employers are caught up because they'll look at the disability and not the ability to perform the outcome and the results. Where there's a will, there's a way. Mm -hmm. uh, Emily has a want to add? So I, um, just to add on to what April said, uh, even though the ADA is on paper, I, I tell my disabled students accommodations don't happen on paper. And that is why it doesn't matter if you give your employer a laundry list of here's what I need, you know, um, because it doesn't happen on paper. And a lot of times when you talk about job readiness, you may come into that job and say, well, I need JAWS. And it may take them a while to get you JAWS. And so you have to say, look, that's not on me, right? That's on you guys. But I can do it once you get me what I need. So 
um, that's where it can be frustrating because we know that if a sighted person comes into a computer job, they can just sit down in front of any machine and start working. And that's frustrating to come in and not be able to do that and to have them kind of hold that against you, you know? So that is where those soft skills are so important because your accommodations don't happen on paper. It doesn't matter what kind of beautiful dream list you draw up. It still <laughs> takes those interpersonal skills to get that stuff executed. And be positive. And you have to be flexible, just like Sarah said, uh, because it's going to take them a little bit. And just keep reinforcing that once I get what I need, I'm, I'm good to go. You guys can just park me in the corner and, you know, <laughs> I got it. I'm good to go. But, again, um, you know, just coming in there with a sense of entitlement saying, well, you better get me this or, you know, that's, that's not going to work for you. Yeah, I was going to say, many right. times a volunteer exactly. position turns into a paid position. But you also have to know what you're worth. Uh, if you do something for free that you should be getting paid for, that's a problem. So volunteer to get some experience and then say, okay, I think I've got some experience. I feel like I'm a valuable asset now. Other question? <laughs> Hold on. We're going to, uh, this mic works. We're going to, uh, I'm going to kind of control it because we also want to be able to, because we're streaming this, we want to be able to have the audience hear us. So if you hold on, um, I have a question here in the front and then I'll come to you. Good, good morning. My name is Denise Marshall and I am a divisional blind service client and I have certifications and, and I'm qualified to do jobs. Uh, as computer tech, I'm a computer, what you would consider a computer rehab. I have the qualifications to be a computer rehab engineer. And when, and I'm also legally blind, and I'm studying for my recertification for voice over Internet protocol, which includes video protocol as well. When I applied for the position of rehab engineer, and I have the same qualifications as the sighted rehab engineer. I never heard anything back. I've never got any kind of response, and nobody ever um, answered my question of why uh, I never heard anything back. When I talked to Tallahassee, there was a man in Tallahassee named Walter Blackman who is a conflict resolution team person. He told me that, oh, you didn't apply for that job. And I told him, yes, I did apply, and I have my application here, and nobody ever returned my call. I am very qualified for the position. Why is it that the Division of Blind Services will not hire blind people to become rehab engineers? That is my question. I don't uh, think that that question really applies for our panel. Right. Yeah, I was going to actually... I was actually going to say that I was actually going to say the same thing that that may be something you might want to take yeah, up I'm, with. I'm actually here not I'm representing yeah, the right. blind here, services. Right. I'm here representing you need to address that legally um, blind person. Right. Yes. That would yeah. be taken up with the proper right. channels. Right. So if you could if you could get back with Walter cuz that's who deals with that, then he will be able to to go further with that. Okay, thank you. You're yes, welcome. Uh-huh. Thank you. All right, hold on one second. I'm coming to you because we're streaming. All right. Me? You. 
Oh, okay, me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, I have a, I have a comment actually. Um, with that woman using the, um, the DBS, I, uh, um, the job that I had before, I was working, um, before I got the job. It was a DOS system. It was not Windows. So JAWS had to be adapted. And DBS took forever to get someone to go to the job to adapt JAWS. I almost lost um, that job because of that. Because the employer is not going to wait. I mean... ADA will only take you so far, so you've got to really push. I mean, you have you have to be assertive. It's it's up to you. Call them every single day and say, "When is my um when is the IT person going to come out to adapt Jaws?" So it really needs to start with you at that point. Thank job. you. And and yes. like he said, you know, if you uh if you really want a job, the first thing you got to do is be be ready, be available. And also, one of the things I tell all my students is this. It's so when you after you leave that interview, leave a thank you card. Leave a thank you card at the front desk. Believe me, that helps. Anybody else got a question that's for our panel? Okay, so as long as it doesn't attain to an agency, because we're not here representing right. agencies, um, I'm just going to ask you to please uh, direct those to the agencies. Right. This is regarding employment, not so, anything to do with the Division right. of Blind Services. So if you have an employment question, agency. I'll be more than happy to. Okay, you ready? Hi, uh, my name is Greg Lindbergh, and I actually have two questions. Uh, they're kind of related. Uh, the first one is uh, I've heard that uh, public sector jobs, like government jobs or working in a school, those uh, types of organizations are more willing to hire people with disabilities compared to uh, certain private sector jobs and private companies. And I just wondered if, if any of you have any uh, thoughts on that or, or opinions. And then the second one is... Uh, I've also heard that there are tax incentives for employers to hire people with disabilities, and I, I believe visual impairment is uh, part of that uh, incentive. So, again, I wondered if you had any thoughts or insight on that. April, we want to take that one? Uh, yeah, I will. There's um, <laughs> Mike. She has an expertise in that department. Okay. Uh, the first question related to public jobs, uh, that's, uh, I have two responses to that one. The first one is up under the Schedule A Hiring Authority. I don't know if, if you've heard of that before. Um, but up under Schedule A Hiring Authority, an individual who believes they're qualified for a position can work with their state vocational rehabilitation 
agency or they can work with their physician to basically fill out a Schedule A letter. And it's really simple. It talks about um, that this is a qualified individual or this individual is qualified to perform the essential functions of the job. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, actually, as a sample I actually created in office uh, this week. And it's very, very short, probably about three sentences if you will. So if that state vocational rehabilitation counselor or you could have your physician contact the Schedule A coordinator and they're in every federal agency. And so what that Schedule A letter allows you to do is to apply for positions that may not be available. So if I thought I was a qualified individual, I would go to my state rehabilitation, vocational rehabilitation agency, or my physician, have them complete a Schedule A letter, and then they would uh, forward that Schedule A letter to the Schedule A coordinator. That Schedule A coordinator would then share it with the hiring manager, and there you would have possibly an opportunity if that hiring manager was interested in hiring you uh, for a position based off your resume and in an interview. Again, those federal positions, which are public, up under the public sector, do not have to be advertised. Or you may see a position that is advertised through USA Jobs, and you may want to apply but also share your letter with the Schedule A coordinator who would share it with the hiring manager. Um, so that's, that's another opportunity. Uh, did I answer that question before I go to the next part of that question? Okay. The next part is that it has been an executive order set forth related to federal contractors. And so federal contractors have to have at least 7% of their workforce as individuals with disabilities. Um, it's recommended. Um, right now, I don't think there are any remedies being set forth. If, if it, they don't comply, uh, it's kind of like, okay, we really want this to happen. There's an executive order to make this happen. This is a federal executive order. And so uh, that is available, you could work with federal contractors. Now, you would be surprised who's a federal contractor. Uh, they're all over. There's actual website through CareerSource um, that can link you to federal contractors, but it can be someone as TJ Maxx. Uh, I don't know if Target, Dan, you may know a couple, but it, the Taco Bell. These are individuals who have federal contracts with the federal government, and so based on that executive order, um, they are also being asked to have at least 7% of their workforce as individuals with disabilities. Um, our governor, uh, Rick Scott, has an executive order uh, 13284, if I'm not mistaken, which basically says all of the state agencies um, that are involved with helping individuals with disabilities partner together to uh, collaborate and network to help individuals with disabilities to gain employment. And so you have on the state level, um, as, a, as a client or participant or customer or consumer, uh, you have those partners working together to help you to find employment. Um, so that answers the question about the public uh, sector jobs. And I think you had a second question. Yeah, about like the taxes. Yes. Up under the work opportunity tax credit, and there are several, um, that, but I will focus on individuals with disabilities. And so it's a lot of planning in advance with this employer. So some of them, they're very time sensitive. You have to do before, and then you have to do when the employment, um, it, the offers, the employment opportunity is offered. And, but yes, there is it's up under called work opportunity tax credit. And so depending on which one you will fall up under, there are so many different rules and benefits to each one um, for someone who's receiving public assistance. So that could be SSI, that 
could be food stamps, um, housing assistance. It, it's so many different kinds up on the work opportunity tax credit. I would encourage you to um, Google it, um, if you if you will. Um, you'll find work opportunity tax credit, and you'll see the different components of that uh, tax incentive. Thank you, April. Uh, again, as I think the panel talked about, you know, your, your comfort level um, with disclosing, number one, because if you bring a work opportunity tax credit and you're looking to uh, qualify up under the part where it talks about individual disability, you're basically a self-disclosure. So it, it's, it's based off of your comfort level of self-disclosure. Uh, it, it can't hurt if you're comfortable with it. If you're not comfortable with disclosing your disability, then you may not want to bring a work opportunity tax credit as it relates to a person with a disability because, again, you're self-disclosing. And, and, mm-hmm. and I would probably bring it up. Uh, if you do bring it up, I would probably bring it up at the end of the interview when there's uh, opportunity for further questions. You wouldn't want to lead with, uh, with that, I wouldn't think. Yeah, that's, that's just yeah. my good thoughts. idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. Absolutely. Any other questions? Yes. All right. Thank you. First, I want to thank the uh, the panel for uh, the questions and the presentation that they had. Um, the question that I have uh, was initially addressed. I thought you had them just there. <laughs> it's still not working. Yeah, no, no microphone. Just yell. That might be the bad one, two. Well, let's go for it. Yeah, okay. well, let me just go ahead and Just speak loudly, please. Okay. The, uh, the question was initially addressed by Emily and uh, Sarah, uh, and that is in cover letters. I, I wasn't sure if I really got a, a clear understanding. I'm about ready to finish school at the end of the year. And in the cover letter, are you indicating that um, describing the disability or visual uh, disability um, should occur uh, initially when you send a cover letter in? And the second question is uh, if um, you have a, a conversation uh, on the telephone, first interview, if you will, and do you would you address it then if you did not address it in a I can take this one. Oh, okay, Sarah. So I was. Oh, both of you. Yeah, really. <laughs> At the same time. Why don't you both answer that? Uh-huh. Yep. Good. Okay. So uh, this is one of those comfort level things, um, and it also depends on how you view your disability. If you're uh, so inclined to view it as, you know, just part of who you are, um, and you might say, well, I'm not going to tell them my hair color in my cover letter, right? Um, you might not bring it up. I've never brought it up in any of my cover letters because I haven't felt that it's a necessary encumbrance to me completing my job. And I, I'm not really sure that it's relevant. Again, uh, Sarah had mentioned that uh, if you're going to do work with disabled people, if you're going to do rehabilitation type work or counseling, it might be relevant to say, hey, by the way, I, you know, I'm one of right. them. Uh, but you know, if, if it's not relevant, don't bring it up. I don't see any need to bring it up And the reason I say this is because um, in contemporary culture, there's an overly medicalized 
conception of disability. So Mm -hmm. it seems like when people hear the word disabled, they want your medical history. Mm -hmm. It's like you keep it in your back pocket and they want you to say, oh, well, I'm legally blind. And it's like you're at an AA meeting. You know, I have this. My name is Emily (laughs) and I have X. So I resist that at every opportunity because disability is not just medical. It's personal. It's political. It's social. Uh, So therefore, I don't want my employer, and of course they can't legally pry, right? But to me, to throw it out there without any relevance to your job seems like you're endorsing that whole, you know, I'm a walking exhibit from the Blindness Museum, which I fight at every opportunity because if it's not your employer it's going to be your co-workers who are like so what can you see and you just you know it's very irritating that also um in the in the phone conversation again it doesn't seem relevant um one issue where it might come up for me personally was I'm part-time faculty which means we don't often get our own offices you know we share offices and each office has a computer and so they might say I might say, well, what kind of technology is available? And they might say, well, the office has a computer. And I'd say, oh, well, I'm blind and I use this software. Is it possible to get it installed? See, it's, I don't bring it up unless it's incidental or it's right, directly related. Because, again, if you start every sentence with, well, I'm blind, Emily, and this is what blind people do, and this is right. what blind people teach, it's not really relevant. Um, and the Blind is you, part of, not part of your name. Exactly. So, again, because especially because of visible disabilities, People tend to think it's much more relevant than it is, but you're not going to disclose your religious beliefs unless they're relevant. You're not going to disclose your personal lifestyle unless it's relevant. So if it's relevant, disclose it. If you have an asset, you you feel like it's an asset, disclose it. But certainly don't disclose it just because you feel you have to. The non-disabled world is going to make you feel that you have to because they're super curious and they, you know, again, we're still very underrepresented. So if it's relevant, bring it up. If not, wait till the personal interview. And it's also a good way to judge your employer's reaction. If they're really (laughs) awkward and weird around you because all of a sudden they've got a disabled person in their office and they can't mellow out pretty quickly, uh, then maybe that's not a good place for you to work, even if you're desperate for a job. If they're going to be all fidgety and weird, then that's just not going to bode well for your long-term relationship with that company. Unless you interpret it as that's their problem and not yours. Exactly. So I think Dan wants to add on just, to that. Just briefly, a little bit. I, I agree with what Emily's stating. I think, um, again, the cover letter, uh, resume, application, the, try and remember what the purpose of that is. That's The purpose is to get your foot in the door for an interview. So um, it, you want to have it be as level of a playing field as possible. You don't want to have something that could, uh, again, give the first impression to uh, to. to weed you out of getting that opportunity unless you know again as she said there's some places uh, that it could be advantageous uh, relating to the group I know uh, I I used to work at Independent Living Resource Center there they have uh, a majority of their staff and board members have to be people with disabilities so it would probably be advantageous in in, uh, a center for independent living to uh, disclose but secondly I would say and again none of the a lot of this is personal preference under ADA, you can disclose at any time. But I, I really tend to think that if you are called on the phone for a job interview, uh, probably that would be a good time to disclose because they can't really retract once they ask you for an interview. That that would kind of seem like an obvious kind of uh, situation of uh, discrimination if they offer it and then take it back. Because I think... Also, when you, sh- and again, there's different opinions on this, but 
if you show up to an interview and there's the shock va value, I think that's that that can be an uncomfortable thing too. Even if you try and uh, approach it in a good way, I think uh, um, giving some forewarning about that's a good idea. Because uh, again, they're kind of looking at it as even if employers are trying to do the right thing, it's at some level it's also about a, a trust thing okay if if a person can't trust about an essential aspect of themselves uh you know i've, I've heard this perspective too I, how how are they going to be in other aspects on the job if they can't share this uh, important piece about them so sure so just quickly uh your disclosure doesn't have to be dramatic you know um you can say something as simple as okay, great, I'll see you on Monday for that in-person interview, and could you give me some specific directions to your office because I'm legally blind and I'll be traveling with a cane? It, again, if you make it no big deal, it's right. no big deal. Um, right. So, Or you could say, you know, um, I know your office is on the third floor. Would you mind uh, telling me, you know, how to get there? I'll be traveling with my guide dog. And then they might go, oh, you have a guide dog? He's, yeah, yeah, I'm blind. So, again, it doesn't have to be just just because disclosure sounds dramatic doesn't mean it has to be dramatic. Absolutely. So, um, especially if it's a prolonged interview process. Make it no big deal. Here's my disability. Here's how it relates. You don't have to have a big reveal. Yeah, don't dwell on it. It's not, you know, again, it's it's only relevant so far as it affects your work performance. Okay, Miss Sarah. Sure. Well, I think we're about out of time. Um, okay, so two quick things to add. Okay. Um, so in terms of the disclosure, um, yeah, I again, I think those subtle ways of, hey, I'm coming to your office, can you give me directions, I have a dog or I have a cane, whatever. I think that not only gives the employer some, you know, comfort helps reduce that shock factor that may impact the interview a lot more than the employer would want to as well. You know, they might be embarrassed, you know, if they had the shock factor as well. But it also gives you some peace of mind. You've already got that one out there. You know, you don't have to even worry about it in the interview. Um, it's already out there and you just get to walk in and be your awesome, confident self. So that's great. And I think another um, way that I've used um, to more um, implicitly imply my disability um, is through my resume, I have a lot of things on there about being on ACB's board of directors or being the president of a national student blindness group. Does that necessarily say I have a disability? No, but I think it, it comes off as, okay, so she works in the, in the disability community and she does all this leadership stuff. And then when they find out that I'm blind, you know, the, the first thing that they've seen is the leadership or the experience or the abilities. Um, and then they realize the disability. And I think I, there are some people that I've met who don't put those kinds of leadership things on their resume because they are afraid that that's disclosing before they want to. But I, I would disagree. Um, I would say that those are things to be proud of if you are a leadership, you know, in a leadership role here in in the Florida Council or or in other disability things, put that on there. That's that's a great way to um, sort of soften that and to show your abilities before the disability. Thank you. Thank you all for coming today, and I want a special thanks to our panel who have taken out of their time to come today, and they're not getting paid. This is volunteer, and uh, I appreciate all of you being here, and also the panel. Thank you. Thank you. Uh -huh. yeah.